the Gritty Growing Up podcast. Because mental health conversations don't have to be uncomfortable and argumentative. Gritty Growing Up is about challenging the perceptions of childhood and recognising that whilst it isn't what it used to be, we can still make it positive. Join us as we share conversations, knowledge and strategies to help your family connect and move forward together. And welcome back to Gritty Growing Up. Now today I want to discuss the concept of is all stress the same? Now something that I think is one of the most overused words that we have nowadays is the word stress. And I say that because not everybody experiences stress in the same way. So for some people they will comment that they're constantly stressed and sometimes that actually isn't even stress, it's just a jumble of other feelings. But We've got a real lack of emotional literacy in society at the moment. So for the majority of young people I meet, they really struggle to differentiate between each feeling that they have. They really find it difficult to identify those small little nuances that are between those different feelings and where they feel them and how it affects them. And if we bring that into a broader context, I truly believe that there are a large quantity of adults out in society right now who equally don't understand their feelings. And... That's not about blame, it's not because people haven't been doing the right things, it's because for so long our society just hasn't valued the importance of understanding ourselves. Now I've worked as a therapist for nearly 10 years now and so much of my work surrounds emotional literacy and exploring where children are with their feelings, how they feel them and what's led them to those moments. So often are yet young people that come in who tell me how angry they are and we explore what that anger's about and where it comes from and So often they're not actually angry with everyone else, they're angry with themselves. How many adults do we know walking around in the world right now angry with everybody, annoyed that everybody's done this to them and done that to them, and actually in the grand scheme of things, they're angry with themselves about how they've reacted, or they're angry with themselves about not expressing what they actually needed, or they're angry about the gaps in their own lives. Now... When we start exploring emotions on those deeper levels, we can so often find that stress is just something that people have accepted. Now, stress is a totally natural reaction. It's something that we all experience. It's something that all of us will feel at some point. So why is it that some people are crippled by stress and others just sail through it? Now, some of that is to do with our personality type. Those of us that are A-type personalities can find that actually stress really helps them to thrive. For other people, their stress tolerance is just so much lower. So we know that those who are neurodiverse, who might have autism, ADHD, ADD, can really struggle with stress. Their tolerance to stress is naturally much lower. And we can sometimes have the same expectations of their stress management as somebody who they might be sitting in class with or in the workplace with who's got an A-type personality who thrives off stress. Now this equally isn't to say that stress is a good thing because we also know that stress is one of the biggest causes of ill health in the UK. However, what we do know is that everybody experiences stress differently. Now stress at its fundamental core is activated in the amygdala when it just responds to the concept, am I safe, am I happy? And in any situation where our brain decides that it's not safe and it's not happy, our bodies will naturally release adrenaline and cortisol. Adrenaline being your fight-flight response, that it's just activating your physical body. Your blood starts running to your limbs, your heart starts racing, your breath starts like speeding up. We feel our pulse throbbing. People might say, oh, my head's banging. We get those physical reactions. 
After adrenaline's done its job, in comes cortisol, which is much more slow acting and it brings with it the negative thoughts, the negative feelings, the feeling that I just can't do this. Now, when people experience stress, they will do one of two things. They'll experience hyperarousal, where they become overwhelmed by stress, or they become hypo-aroused, where they feel numbed by stress. And it's for this big difference that some people, when stressed, will lash out with their words, with their actions, with their fists, with their feet. They might kick and hit and stamp and shout and yell, and that's not even just the children. And sometimes we might see that actually people shut down. They just can't interact. Their bodies have just gone into complete freeze mode. And for a small portion of people, they'll then hit fawn mode. They'll actually find themselves trying to appease the person who's caused them stress, struggling desperately to resolve it for them, to make things easier, to appease it. We can sometimes watch children begging their parents not to be cross with them. We can watch adults begging their partners not to be angry, begging them not to do this to them. And those reactions for many of us have been built up over time. Now, any of us can become hyper or hypo-aroused. You might find in yourself that you veer towards one in particular. You might find that you use different ones in different reasons. You might find at home in your relationships, hypo-arousal and hitting freeze mode is just natural. Find yourself disconnected and dissociated from everything around you. You might find, though, in the workplace, you become really hyper-aroused, becoming irritable with your colleagues, getting really cross at people for not doing their jobs properly, standing in the tea room, getting really angry and having a bit of a rant. We all have our own unique responses to stress, but we all have a responsibility to understand them and ensure that actually we're not using those to hurt other people. And stress so often is just an excuse that we use when we do things to hurt one another. Whether that's in an argument saying things we don't mean, whether in a moment of impulse reacting in a way that we don't want, whether it's behaving in the workplace in a way that we don't want to, or for a child behaving in school in a way that's not natural to their normal behaviours. And what I so often find in my work, and that's not even just as a therapist, but in the 10 years that I spent teaching prior to that, is that very often we can find our colleagues or students being shamed for their reactions. When what they need most, more than anything, is some direction, some understanding. And for most young people who I meet, when we start exploring the concept of stress, we notice that their stress levels are just through the roof. After lockdown, the amount of young people that I met whose stress levels might have been being perceived as maybe chronic, who were just completely overwhelmed by stress and actually didn't even know themselves anymore. And I think that that's something that as adults we can probably relate to too. So what happens? Let's have a look at hypoarousal first. And hypoarousal is effectively feeling underwhelmed. It's low arousal, it's a, a complete freeze response, feeling completely disconnected and dissociated. It can affect our sleep, our eating habits, our mood, our energy, even our ability to communicate. We might describe it as feeling numb, frozen, disconnected, daydreaming, brain fog, exhaustion, being very quiet or withdrawn, socially isolating, being unable to make decisions, finding it hard to concentrate, hard to communicate, maybe reporting having no memories of an event that's happened. Now, when a child or an adult experiences hypoarousal, they can find it really difficult to alert others to their needs. They often become completely invisible, as though they're just lost, and they don't upregulate, they don't act out to get attention that they're struggling, so we don't see that they're drowning. Now, Often for adults who experience a freeze response, it's something that can lead to more arguments. 
it can lead to people thinking that they're not taking them seriously, they're not listening to them, not taking notice, when the reality is that we are so poorly informed about the impact of a freeze response that very often people can become even more isolated. Now, there's lots of people that will say a freeze response is a bad excuse for not dealing with things, but for a lot of reasons, a lot of adults, a lot of children who have learnt a freeze response have learnt it because they've learnt that no one's coming. They've learnt it because in the situations that surrounded them, it was the only thing that they could learn. For some adults, they've experienced extreme bullying, they've ex experienced bullying in the workplace, they've experienced domestic violence, and they have learnt that actually saying something was going to make the situation worse. So they've learned to just go inside themselves to wait for the storm to pass. Now, it's not to justify it. It's not to make excuses for people. But it is really important that we educate ourselves that every child, every adult around us will have a different reaction to things. And sometimes this can cause some really big issues in relationships. It can make a child look like they just don't care. It can make an adult look like they're just not bothered. It can make us look like we're not taking something seriously enough, which can cause someone who experiences hyperarousal to actually feel quite annoyed, quite irritated, quite irate. And whilst we all have work to do on ourselves, whilst we all have a responsibility to ensure that we are working on ourselves, we're developing ourselves, we're developing an understanding of ourselves, to understand which response we have and making sure that's openly communicated is actually really important. If we know that children are prone to having a freeze response, we can actually learn to take a little bit more care around how we respond, ensuring that we're not shaming them or ridiculing them for shutting down, and instead helping them to thaw out and helping them to cope better. For those children who are hyper-aroused, we can know that actually these are our warning signs and actually what are those areas that they really need support in in order to help them to regulate. I just wonder how many relationships, how many friendships, how many children-parent relationships would be so much more improved if we had a better understanding of the role of hypo and hyperarousal. Now, when we look at children who are hypoaroused, they're sensory avoiding. They're trying to reduce the amount of input that they experience. They're trying to decompress and regulate, which is why for many children, they will literally just zone out or they'll go up to their bedrooms or they'll disappear. They'll take themselves off. And it's why they can often look like they're just not interested. When actually what they're trying to do is decompress and reset their body's sympathetic nervous system. They're trying to get themselves back to that point where they can actually cope. Hyperarousal on the other end of the scale is when children become overwhelmed by their environment. Whether this is people or sensory inputs or situations or events or factors such as illness or the temperature outside. Children who are hyperaroused are often sensory seeking. They're looking to gain input to regulate. Hyperarousal causes a child to feel completely overwhelmed and overstimulated by the environment and creates that fight-flight response. And it can mean that we look agitated, frustrated, irritable, fidgety, we're trying to escape, we're physically aggressive, we're getting angry or we've got risky behaviours. We might be hypervigilant, we might struggle to sit still, we might start intruding on other people's personal space or constantly touching other people or things. We might find that we're seeking out noises or colours or smells or we're making them. We might be quite paranoid, we might be looking for risks and dangers, we might be constantly telling you what might happen. Children who are hyper-aroused upregulate their responses to tell us that there's a problem. But this can frequently be mislabeled as poor behaviour. Hyperarousal tells us that a child's nervous system is completely overwhelmed and they often tell us that they're not safe through their words, their actions and their behaviours and they really need our help to decompress and regulate. They're just the other end of the scale to those children who are hypo-aroused. 
The children who are hypo-aroused don't get noticed because they're not causing a lot of trouble. Now, the issue that we have with children and adults who become very hyper-aroused is it can so often inadvertently be just mislabeled as bad behaviour. Hyper-arousal can often identify to as children who are really struggling, children who might have a very low tolerance to stress, children who might have other things going on. Much the same as hypo-arousal can indicate to us that a child just isn't coping, they're not processing what's happening. We can also have some children who move between the two. Some situations will cause one, some situations will cause the other. And we really need to take time to learn about the children that we work with, about our own children, about the children in our families, to help us really understand those things. And then we can start to consider how we can help them. Now, every child will need different types of help, and they'll all have their own preferred strategies that they use. And what we need to do is actually, rather than put these strategies in place at the end of the day when something's gone wrong, we need to really develop a habit of implementing them throughout the day. We need to work them into our routines, not just at the point of overwhelm, because what I so often hear is people say, you know, I try to do breathing with them, but it just wouldn't work. Had we implemented those breathing activities, those movement breaks, those fidget toys, those crunchy snacks, whatever our thing was, earlier in the day, we'd structured it into meal times, we'd structured it into break times, we'd structured it into our routines, we'd actually find that children wouldn't hit that point of hyperarousal or hyperarousal because we'd actually regulate their systems throughout the day. Now I want you to think of an adult you know who might smoke and what you'll find is during the day they will go out on their breaks, on their lunch break, they might take themselves out for a five minute cigarette break. You'll find that on the days when that person can go and do that they will be much more regulated and we find that actually you know they probably cope with quite a lot quite well. On a day when a meeting might overrun by a couple of hours, they might become quite irritable. And whilst we know that smoking is incredibly bad for us, what you find with the majority of smokers is they are people that become hyper or hypo-aroused and they use cigarettes to manage that. Which is why we really need to consider, actually even adults need regulation strategies. Now during the summer, I suggested to all my young people who were doing their GCSE and their A-level exams to take a packet of chew in their pockets. And they all looked at me at first like I was crazy. And then they sort of started saying, well, why? They said that act of actually chewing something really chewy in the morning releases the tension that's in your jaw. It's the same thing that happens when people smoke, just the chew might be a slightly more healthy option. It might be that we're taking fruit snacks with us. It might be that we've got a couple of crackers or rice cakes in our pockets. It's just thinking about actually what are we implementing in our day to help us manage the stress to stop it becoming the teapot that's boiling over to stop it getting to the point of absolute overwhelm. We need to therefore think, what sort of regulation time do children need? What do adults need in maybe the busy days or before busy events? You might find that actually children can cope really well if their days are kept on an even keel, but if you've got a busy family party or massive day out in London, a really busy entertaining day, maybe a family wedding or a party, that in the days after, children are more likely to become hyper or hypo-aroused. So we need to start thinking, actually, in consideration of things like spoon theory, what do I need to put in place before, during and after to help that child? Those of you that have been with me for a while will know that I'll often talk about in the summer holidays, please don't overpack your holidays. The same thing comes with Christmas. 
so many children find Christmas so overwhelming. So actually, how can we consider how we can break that down? If we've got a busy day, follow it by a quiet day. If we've got two busy days, follow it by two or three quiet days, because we actually need to allow children time to decompress. And if you can help them simmer down those stress levels to manage it better, the challenges that they have from hitting that hyper or hypo arousal will lessen. And they'll also learn to trust themselves a little bit more and respond to their needs more constructively. So a lot of this comes down to trial and testing. It comes down to really planning out what snacks and foods we need to add to lunch boxes to support children at school or on a busy day out. That we need to think about their hydration and their food intake first thing in the morning and the evenings. And we actually need to be making sure that all the adults involved are really communicating so that we're aware of what children need to help them. Now, there isn't a quick fix. There isn't an easy option. It is something that does take time and it does take practice. And sometimes that starts with us. Sometimes that starts with us adults taking that time to, first of all, work out what we need. And to work out how do we respond to our own stress? What constructive ways can we use that will support us to do that? That we can then start modelling that to children as well. If our responses as adults when we're stressed is to explode, then we're in no place to be criticising children if they explode when they're stressed. But if we can model to them how to manage our stress, whether that's through physical activity, through hobbies, through interests, through music, through regulatory snacks and activities, whatever your thing is, if you can find those, it's so much easier to help children to find their own as well. So there's some food for thought. There's some ideas, there's some starting points. If you want some more, if you go over to dandelintraininganddevelopment.com, there are pages of regulation strategies that you can start testing right now with, with your families, with your children, with the children that you work with. Until next time, stay safe, keep talking, and we'll see you soon with more Gritty Growing Up. Stay safe, keep open-minded, and we'll look forward to sharing more gritty moments with you next time. If you want to up your knowledge in the meantime, head over to dandelion training and development.com.